Hello and welcome to another episode of the CG Garage. This is episode number 376, featuring the return of my good friend Darren Grant, the CTO of Animalogic. And this year's 2022 SIGGRAPH, uh, he's the director of the Electronic Theater. I am very excited to have Darren back. He comes back. We've kind of made it a schedule now. Every three years, he'll come back. And this is his third appearance on the podcast where he's giving us a whole bunch of cool updates. Kristen, what did you think of Darren's updates this year? Ah, they are awesome. So mm -hmm. we get to hear how Animal Logic has now moved into doing 100% animated films. Um, and it's also the longest running independent animation studio in the world. Um, and then he also discusses how they were actually hybrid right before COVID, but now hybrid films are kind of the new go-to. Um, mm -hmm. And also that uh, since films are getting released via streaming services, the intensity is not as stressful as it was on everyone before because theater dates, there was like a set in stone thing and now it's, they have a little wiggle room. Mm -hmm. um, and then he also, as you said, discusses his role as the director of the electronic theater at SIGGRAPH. Um, and we kind of get to hear about some of the stunning and moving entries that they have received so far. Um, and another cool thing SIGGRAPH is doing is they are ve being very inclusive this year, and it's a hybrid attendance, so physical and vir uh, virtual. So he kind of goes into that a little bit. Um, and also the importance of volunteering at SIGGRAPH or any type of like in the entertainment industry. Um, he really wants yeah, people to know about that because it, it does, you get a lot of like rewards after that um, and meeting people. So um yeah, that's a SIGGRAPH. And then lastly, he also kind of discusses his idea on blockchains and you guys like the author authentication. I can't say it right. Um, mm -hmm. And how do we know it's like not modified? So that was a very interesting aspect. Yeah. Yeah. I love, I love talking to Darren about technology, obviously, because, you know, his, he's been a CTO for a very long, long time in many visual flex studios. And so we always kind of get into it in terms of cloud rendering or this or that. And we've been talking about, I mean, I've been talking to him about this stuff for 20 years. And so this year, you know, I was like, okay, Darren, what's new? What, what haven't we talked about in the last three years? Let's talk about blockchain because obviously that's a big thing. So it's interesting to sort of hear his perspective on that, especially, you know, considering uh, his experience in the industry for, for so long, but it's great catching up with Darren. Love having him on. And it was great, you know, uh, just sort of chatting about everything that he's doing and sort of uh, mm -hmm. excited about SIGGRAPH as, as well. So really cool to do that. Uh, okay. We have a couple of events coming up. Kristen, what's happening? Yeah. So you can find these out at chaos.com slash events. We actually have two on May 26th. The first one is our From Zero to Hero series. Mm -hmm. um, and the slogan we have is kickstart your career with this exclusive series of talks from seasoned arc viz professionals. So you can sign up online for that. And also on May 26th, we have a webinar. It's the Arculium Academy, um, the vegetation process. So you can learn how to add realistic and high quality vegetation to your scenes. So both those at chaos.com slash events to sign up and find out more. Perfect. And both, as you said, both of those are on May 26th. So sign up for those events if you are interested in either the Zero to Hero series or the Arculium Academy vegetation process. Cool. Uh, we don't have any specific news or product news at this point, but if people want to know more about the podcast, where can they go, Kristen? You can go to facebook.com slash CG Garage Podcast or chaos.com slash CG Garage. And if you'd like to watch us, go to youtube.com slash chaos group TV. 
Perfect. And if you guys would like to uh, know more about, uh, you know, have any suggestions on the podcast, you can always email us. It's labs at chaos.com. We'd love to hear from you as well. All right. But for now, please enjoy episode number 376 with Darren Grant. Welcome to another CG Garage where the Chaos Group talks. You'll know it's over when the last bucket drops. We're going to fire off rays in high dynamic range. We know that ambient occlusion is passe. Global illumination won't lead you astray. And while image-based lighting is really swell, you need to make sure everything has for now. Uh, well, first of all, I want to catch up with you and see what's going on. It's been what we've do. We've we've seemed to be making a schedule now. What every three years? Is that what you uh, said? Two, I think it's two years. Every two years? No, three years. Every two years? No. Oh my three god. Years. We should look. Yeah. Three years. That's well, how long two we've years been ago doing we this. were in a pandemic. Two years ago we were in a pandemic, so it definitely wasn't two years. <laughs> That's how long you've been doing this, man. This is my third appearance. And so if it's and once I've every three years. Oh, eight yeah, eight years almost I've been doing this. So it'll be eight years I've been. Episode 88. 88 was my first one. Okay. Nice. I think. Yeah. And I'm on 360 or something, 70s. Oh, no, something. no. That was from 2019. I did one even soon. Jesus, man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't even. I'm Google is failing me. Oh, episode 18. Or eight eighty-eight. Eighteen. No, no, eight oh sorry, sorry. Eighty-eight, two hundred and twenty-seven. Okay. So now we're on well, I'm almost in the four hundreds now, so in terms of episode numbers. So it's been a while. I think actually last <coughs> time when we first talked, so wait, let's see, that was twenty nineteen. Yeah. No, right? 2019. Yeah, twenty nineteen. So twenty sixteen, twenty nineteen, yeah, once every three years. You were kind of new to Animal Logic, is that right? <coughs> yeah, I started at Animal Logic in August, uh, right before SIGGRAPH Vancouver uh, in 2018, which mm-hmm. is funny because SIGGRAPH is coming back to Vancouver again this year. Yep, yep. And so what what has what has been going on in Animal Logic in the last three years? How has that changed? <laughs> uh, is this all still pre test or, or no, are we no, doing- no, we're just talking. Uh, <laughs> now no. we're doing it. Oh, we're, now we're doing it. Oh my God. No, I- <laughs> Uh, I was like looking at my notes. Um, Analogic uh, has changed significantly since I started. Um, you know, uh, really? When I yeah, when I started, uh, you know, Analogic is now thirty-one years old. Thirty-one years old, the kind of the longest-standing, okay. largest independent animation studio in the world. Um, uh, when Analogic started, they were doing visual effects, right? Uh, most notably, like their right. big claim to fame early on was that Matrix movie. Uh, it, right. uh, they worked on that with uh, with all the folks at Mannix back in the day. Um, uh, when I started, we were doing our last visual effects work. Um, we worked okay. on, we did some shots, some um, sequences on Captain Marvel. And since then, you know, we do, uh, there's these things called hybrid films. You know, everybody's talking about hybrid and different models now, like hybrid workplaces. But hybrid films are what we consider, like, it's it's visual effects, but it's it's character and animation driven. So uh, Animal Logic uh, has actually co-produced uh, a couple of movies, Peter Rabbit and Peter Rabbit Two. Um, mm. We are producers, actual producers on that film, not just producers of the of the uh, visual effects work. And so, when it's a film like that, and it's our film, then we also still do uh, those that kind of hybrid work as well. 
Um, but okay. other than that, we're just 100% focused on animated films now. So we made that uh, pivot uh, before the pandemic, which, you know, if I, I we have a great CEO, Zari Nobandian. He's been the founder of the company, co-founder of the company, and, and has run the company for the past 31 years. And it's like, I look back and some of these things are like, wow, that's a bold move. And wow, what a great move pre-pandemic because, you know, visual effects took a dive and then now it's exploding back. But like it was when, when you couldn't shoot, all of a sudden visual effects uh, had, a, had a real issue, but people making the, the uh, all CG animated cartoons had a, had, you know, it was a, it was, it was an a advantage. <laughs> yeah. It was really great. And yeah. so uh, we made that decision for a variety of reasons. It felt like, it feels like in those situations, we have much more of an opportunity to be a, a partner, a creative partner on the film versus just an executor. You know, when it started, animated films are still oftentimes done by one studio versus like, here, you get this chunk and you get this chunk and it's like 10 different places. Yep. So it really feels like still a partnership from that perspective, um, which is something that we really, we really crave, you know, as uh, uh, one of the things we, we've tried to never grow too big to lose our culture and tried to never, uh, and tried to always maintain, uh, our, our company's motto is great work with great people. And one of the reasons, one of the ways that you can do that is to make sure that it's not just the great work in terms of the, uh, content and everything that working on, but also a great work environment and, and, uh, animated films provide, uh, typically longer. They have, they have a little bit more of a, uh, work-life balance than, you and I remember from long, long times in visual effects and long, long nights. So, um, yeah, and those days have gotten worse, I think, you know, in, in years, because I think, you know, so much VFX and, and in so many ways, almost tons and tons and tons of smaller VFX that are yeah. like last minute. Oh my God, we need to fix this problems. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, um, what used to be called the nine one ones seems to be the norm now. <laughs> right, or even like you know, you've added different layers of things. Like now that you have that, like you know, finishing wasn't a term like maybe ten years ago. Right. right. This basically let's go through like if if we had finishing on this, I would have no blemishes. These uh, bags under my eyes from working late last night wouldn't be here. It'd just be sure. somebody doing that across the entire content, and uh, and that's a visual effect work but yep. it, what didn't I know exist that for a fact I have someone that lives in my house yeah exactly <laughs> exactly right so um that's you know that's now a thing right as a last minute uh, visual effects shot even uh, even beyond yeah. the, all these other all these other changes so um yeah so we've been fully focused on animated features since then and uh, much like the entire industry uh we've grown significantly you know we're basically uh at uh I'd say aiming towards over double or double the size that we were when I started. And how is, how is the, uh, you know, obviously even in the, in the last three years that we talked, um, content demand for streaming has boomed. There are many, many, many more streaming networks, all mm -hmm. competing for creating tons of content. And obviously animation is a, a, a portion of, that content demand. How has that affected you guys in terms of it's that? Been a, it's, it's been a huge boon for us. Um, I, you know, um, trying to do it. I think we've announced that we're working on uh, at least one Netflix movie. Um, uh, okay. That, uh, we're, uh, 
that we're wrapping up um we're wrapping up for release uh at some point in the near future i think that's the other Mm -hmm. interesting thing is um with streaming um the idea of a release date uh and kind of there's day and date but it's not like pushing out to theaters it's release dates on on streaming platforms uh, you have the opportunity that can change without significant consequences right the same consequences of like no i was blocked in this theater for this six week run or four week run or whatever like that stuff has kind of gone away a bit right so there's a on, on some level it's really good it gives the opportunity to if this thing isn't working well let's Let's not release it. Let's do some additional work. Let's change let's change this. Or, hey, this is looking good. Let's move it forward. All those options All right. that were really challenging, unless you're a large-scale studio who said, I have the, I've already bucked out all these slots so I can swap films. Uh, unless you're doing that, right. it's, it's uh, you know. So there's there's a lot of those options that are available on streaming, which are kind of, which are, which are really nice. I didn't think about the fact that, yeah, you don't have to book the theaters anymore. If it's not working, just delay it by a month and keep working on it. Or yeah. it. I mean, it was interesting also, I was talking to 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 uh, Andrew Orloff over at Zoic, and he was basically saying how it's changed their schedule because they were so episodic driven that they always went through the seasons. Mm-hmm. And now seasons don't really exist in the same way. They don't have, you know, the uh, all of the same pilot season and this and that. So their schedule has actually evened out because things have sort of trickled out throughout the whole calendar year. So it's made it actually easier for them in some ways. That's, that's great. That's great. Because that's <laughs> the other thing is, um, you know, what I'm hopeful for with the boon of work is that we don't have quite as much of the uh, the journeyman uh, kind of like, like trades with like yeah. you're here and you're gone and here and you're gone. I mean, in some cases that's, uh, that's really valuable. Uh, you know, yeah. can, um, you can, you can take breaks off when it's a really intense period and, and things like that. But, um, and for studio for, you know, for live action work, that's kind of, that's the norm. Like we're setting up, a, we're setting up an LLC, we're making this film, everybody's employed by the LLC and then the LLC dissolves when the film's done. Right. Um, right. It could be a, you know, I think that could be a hard life. And with the plethora of people who are doing this digitally, and now even, you know, you can do it from, we're both in our house houses. Uh, you could do it from your house and, and things like that. Um, people are looking for something that's a little bit more normal. And I think yeah, having consistency, I mean, one of the, re- the other reasons to work in animated films is the longer schedules we have, we can keep people employed, consistently employed for longer. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. Great work with great people means you're not flopping people out all the time. It means here's a job and, and you have some consistency of employment for a long time so that you can, that, right. this, that on the episodic side, it can spread out. So it's not like, Hey, we have a whole huge thing. Like I remember, um, have you ever watched that uh, South Park documentary? And they make an entire, uh, no. entire episode. Oh, no, no, I haven't week. seen it. Is it, is it good? It's yeah. good. It's good. It's short too, but, um, I remember talking to a former head of technology there and he said like, basically they live there during the season and then kind of as hazard pay, they get a ha- they get half salary off season to keep them like, cause wow. they like people sleep on the floor, you know, they get those episodes right. out and to get I, an episode done in a week. Yeah. 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 And so like, okay. you know, that kind of thing, hopefully it's not all that now <laughs> one episode, right. one episodic backed, backed up against the other, but, um, that's crazy. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I mean, you you and I dealt with that too back in the early days because all, most of what we did was summer blockbusters, right? So, yeah. in the summer was actually the movies out 
and there was no work. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right? It was or like right pre-summer, which in some cases was great. Hey, you go finally see your kids again after not seeing them for a year and take them on a right. big expensive vacation with all that overtime that you earned. Um, that's never <laughs> the case for me. Uh, technology yeah. side, it was always consistent, high level of burn. Um, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's interesting. That's interesting. Now, how has the work from home situation worked for you guys as well? Uh, I mean, you know, it's it's a bless. It's been a blessing. Well, I was about to say the standard blessing and cursing, and there are some challenges with it, right? Um, but uh, but you know, the ability that uh, that we had in order to pivot um, and be able to allow people to work from home. God, it feels like ages ago now. But really, a, right. a, a credit to our IT teams and uh, and making those kind of things possible. I think another thing that probably you haven't had other people talk about on the podcast yet, or that uh, the TPN, you know, the which is the MPA, uh, um, the security organization for the MPA, they just released, I think in February, new guidelines that acknowledge and give guidelines around how to make work from home a long-term thing rather than, you That's know, like during, the, during the pandemic, it was like, I don't know what you're going to say about this, but we got a pandemic. We got to work from home. All the rules right. were very tight around the ability to do that before. And now mm-hmm. all the rules have been updated uh, to have a very clear sense of this is what is acceptable for work from home. And this is what's not. I, at a high level, the TLD, TLDR of it is basically uh, don't store content locally. <laughs> if you store content locally, you kind of treat it like it's a studio and you have all those things like, you have to be able to introspect the firewalls and harden all the equipment and everything. Just try to avoid that as much as possible. And so all these remote protocols sure. like PC over IP, Teradici, Nice DCB, all these things allow you to say, this is just a window. I always used to use it as a, we all know the Simpsons, right? You all remember the Simpsons? Uh, uh, right. Homer uh, grabbing that the nuclear material through the glass with the gloves. Like that's what, right. that's what PC over IP is, Right. The computer's right. over there and in the content network and I can mess with it, but I can't pull it out. Right. Right. So uh, yeah. as long as you're doing that and, and you don't have <laughs> windows for strangers to walk by and see the content on your screen, as long as you're doing those things, you're all, you're all good. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. Yeah. It's really interesting. Uh, okay. Well, cool. That's, that's really great. I mean, obviously like a lot of that has, has, has changed the way people think about about this stuff so it's really cool to do that now the other thing i'm going to jump around here but let's 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 jump into siggraph a little bit because i know you've been involved in siggraph and there's you know siggraph is as you mentioned it's going to be in vancouver this year again which is exciting uh this is this the first non-virtual one that they've done since this is the return yeah so 2019 was the last in-person conference in los angeles and then 2020 and 2021 ended up having to be entirely virtual and so if yeah. you, you notice this little hint, this is our, I mentioned hybrid before, this is our first hybrid right. conference. And so you'll see on that, it says, okay. uh, you know, it says SIGGRAPH 2022 Vancouver Plus, right? And that's our little clue towards, there's still an online yep. experience. Um, you know, uh, a part of that is, it's this weird balance of one, we want people to come back together and we want people to be at the conference. And for those of us that are, desperate for connection like so much of the SIGGRAPH the, the conference is about much like you know you you know you're a big fan of proponent of Trojan horses unicorn some of it's the content but it's a lot about the experience right and right and the loss of that experience at SIGGRAPH just being all virtual 
I mean, I'll just tell you honestly, like, even if I bought a pass because I'm not physically there and like away from everything else, I, I get to see far less of the actual content, right? So, so I think that's going to be really important and I'm really glad that we're able to do um, something in person at the Vancouver Convention Center this uh, August uh, 8th, 7th or something like that, the second week of August. Sure. Um, yeah, and you've, you've been involved with SIGGRAPH forever. Like, I have. I did I take a little break for a while. Um, I was involved. The first time I did the electronic theater was uh, SIGGRAPH 2003 in San Diego. Mm-hmm. So it's almost 20 years in between. Um, and, you know, honestly, what happened was I got uh, I got asked to be a juror for the electronic theater in 2019 uh, by Emily Sue. Um, and uh, and it, I caught the bug again. I had basically kind of stopped participating around the 2008, 2009 time period. And, um, right. and yeah, I caught the bug again and then, and then, uh, agreed to do the electronic theater again this year. Um, so, um, yeah, yeah. So I've been doing it for a while. It's a lot has changed in 20 years. Uh, the first time we did when, so I, the way that SIGGRAPH works, if you volunteer, I will make a part of, part of this. If anybody takes anything away is, uh, it's a real struggle with volunteerism. Now that everybody's not together and there's not some of that shared sense of community as much, um, online communities, volunteerism is really challenging. I do a lot of volunteer work within the industry and, uh, it gets harder and harder to find people that are willing to take on that extra stuff in addition to everything else that's going on in our super busy lives. Um, but it's so rewarding and I will encourage all of your, all of your listeners or viewers, if you're interested in, if you think that you that SIGGRAPH matters, or if you think that uh, the Academy matters, or you think that um, Visual Effects Society matters, volunteer. Volunteer your time. Um, you'll be paid back tenfold in terms of the experiences and the knowledge and the, and the connections that you make. Um, but so, yeah, getting back to it. So SIGGRAPH 2000, the way that it works is uh, when I was a 2003 chair, I shadowed 2002 to see what the process was. So 2002 is the first time I really got to see the details of electronic theater. And we had uh, yeah. D1 tape decks and we had student volunteers who would have to plug in the tape and push play. And then we'd have to rewind them all. And we watched all of the submissions. I think back in the day we had like 750 submissions. So basically we'd lock people in a room for three and a half days. My eyeballs are bleeding, just watching content over and over again and making these calls. So, you know, fast forward. Um, so my entire jury was virtual this year. We, we are, yeah. everything's streaming, everything's put online. And so we have people that uh, triage the content. So, you know, uh, 340 right. submissions this year. And, um, and so we take those, we have some very brave people to watch all that content and, and make some judgments and reduce that by to a quarter. And a quarter of those, a quarter of that 340 is what the actual jury watched and then voted on. And then we make together and made choices of what's, what's in and what's out. So uh, as of this date, because I know this will be aired later, um, we are sending out the acceptances today, May 3rd. Oh, nice. So, um, so uh, I don't, you know, sometimes people back out because, of the, oh, I didn't get permission or whatever. But um, we should have a pretty amazing show this year. Yeah. 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 That's awesome. That's awesome. I've always loved <clears throat> the electronic theater. It's always been actually, honestly, one of my favorite parts 
of SIGGRAPH because it's SIGGRAPH is great for the academic world and that great for some of the research world, which has always been a very important thing. But electronic theater to me is sort of the celebration of the art in a lot of ways. And well, also, well, go ahead. Yeah, well, what I love about it is it's both, right? It's not, it's unlike right. any other animation festival, which is just short films. Like the electronic theater is a celebration of anything computer graphics in our entire community. So, uh, you know, we have visual effects and animation how-to reels, and we have some amazing ones this year. Uh, thankfully, maybe maybe uh, be calling up a few friends to go, hey, don't forget about the electronic theater. We have some great content uh, uh, from Disney, from uh, Warner Brothers, from, uh, yeah, and then some, uh, some, I'm trying to curate in some, a really special piece too. So there's some really great work from that kind of thing. So, you know, now you just, you only see those things online, but it used to be like at the electronic theater, that's where you saw that stuff. And so I'm so glad that we could be able to project that stuff large for people in the theater to see uh, how to of Dune and, and things like that. Right? Um, so we have that kind of content. Uh, we have, uh, uh, commercials, like commercial kind of things, games, cinematic things, like stuff that you'd never see in a normal animation festival. Um, one thing I'm super proud of is we have data visualization and scientific visualization. So this is like the unsung hero of computer graphics. Like every time you see one of those Mars rover animations or anything like that, one of the things that's really uh, challenging about that stuff is that it all has to be scientifically based. Like they're, it's, it's real world data and, and they can't go tread too off of in order to tell the narrative, they can't tread too far off of that real world data. It has, has to be a representation of that. And so um, uh, next year's volunteer chair, like myself, uh, she comes from that world, um, from University of Illinois, kind of the mecca of this stuff into the great now retired Donna Cox. Uh, so you have, uh, so we've done a great job of outreach there. And I'm, I'm proud to say oftentimes in, in the past, because we want to include them, you know, make it a fulsome show, it's been like, there's some things that are just on the edge of like, well, maybe we should include it. Maybe we, we should include it because we want to have everything represented. So we have three pieces that were just juried, like not like, but not like lowering the bar, not a not affirmative action for data visualizations. These are all like, this is great content that's in the in the theater. So I'm super proud of that. And then of course there's short films, and uh, you know it's not news, but if you look at the content coming out from students nowadays, it's like mind blowing. <laughs> it's painfully mind blowing. It's like, oh my God, I don't even know if I could graduate <laughs> from a school or yep. do that kind of stuff as a student now. And our uh, two of the three award winners are actually done by students this year. Wow. Yeah. 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 It's amazing what, what, what people can do. I mean, how do, how do you, what, what's your thoughts on that? Like the fact that that students are doing things that were just not even possible for big studios to do just not that long ago. <laughs> well, um, you know, I think it's a combination of things. I think one is, uh, uh, if you don't know it's impossible, you can do it. That's an often said phrase. And so, uh, you have students taking on, uh, ideas and concepts that are, that are big in scope are challenging in the type of content, like something that like, Hey, I'm a commercial studio. I don't, I can't really tell a personal story about, about this tragedy. It might, you know, might tarnish our brand or something like that. So it's challenging sometimes to tell those stories but students have none of those inhibitions. And so uh, you really see a wide spectrum of different types of stories, clearly personal, clearly very personal to students, uh, to, 
to these filmmakers as students, but they're really filmmakers, right? And so it's it's almost like the independent film market, like I'm allowed to tell the story the way I want to versus some studio exec coming in and say, add more fart jokes or, or whatever. Like you right. have that and it's and that part is really special. And so I think it, it widens things. Um, uh, so I think it's that. I think also... Uh, we saw a lot more content, although I don't think any of the any of the award winners were rendered this way. But we saw a lot more content that was just done purely with the Unreal Engine, right? So that's a huge mm. enabler there in terms of like all of a sudden I didn't need to use the school's render farm or use borrow borrow friends machines and and have them running for days in order to push out these images. They're able to generate them. Uh, they're able to generate them in real time, and so that's been a I think that's been a huge enabler for students as well. Um, yeah, that's interesting. That's interesting. I mean, that's that's the thing. I think people are be are just democratizing creativity in a lot of ways. Yeah, some of those, some yeah. Of those ideas. Well, and I think uh, yeah. you know, there's there's. It's often said that uh, films are a reflection of our society, right? And mm -hmm. um, and I think uh, something that you can tell from this and the inclusion of and having students is that their reflection of what's going on and what the what the gestalt is right now. And so one of the, you know, one of the rules for electronic theater is it's stuff that has to have been released in the last year. So everything that's done, it's really a reflection of not just this last year, but maybe the last two years because they were making it and then they finished it in 2021, uh, what people were feeling. And uh, and what nice. you'll see in the award one. So, uh, yeah, that's a long way of saying the electronic theater is a little dark this year. <laughs> It's not as like lighthearted and fun and, and stuff like that because this last two years has been really quite challenging for people. And in particular, uh, one theme that I've noticed across all, all of our three award winners uh, is they're actually all, and it actually maybe is partially a reflection of, uh, of not just what was happened in the last two years, but what's happening right now in terms of the jury and their selections. They all are uh, related to um, war or conflict uh, of some of some sort, um, the best in show. Uh, since I think we'll have announced it by the time this comes out, the best in show award winner is uh, is a piece called "The Seine's Tears." Uh, Seine being the river in Paris. It's about the Paris massacre in 1961, where uh, hundreds of Algerian workers were beaten down and sometimes murdered and drowned in the Seine uh, by the by the Parisian police. Um, uh, you know pretty tough stuff, but beautifully told, really interesting uh, design, production design on it, like just uh, captivating you. Like, even if you don't know the backstory, um, it's just visually compelling to watch. Uh, the best student project is a project called Yala, which is set in Beirut in 1982. This is this uh, war-torn country. And it, but it's a lighthearted story. It's a hopeful story, but it's set in, in Beirut. In the eighties, right, mm -hmm. and then and then the jury prize um, is got it's I can't even describe it in terms of the visuals. It's so unique. It's called the end of war, and it comes out of China. Um, uh, and uh, I think both of the last two films came out of Paris. They were student projects. This one isn't a student project, but it's an anti-war piece. And what they've done is they use the concept of animated sculptures. So you see these like war memorials. And so they animate them. Basically, what he, what they did was they they hand modeled these sculptures, like sculptural pieces, for the keyframes, and then did interpolation between these between two different sculptures, 
right? For going from oh, one keyframe to another, it's super, it's beautiful. You're like, oh my God, how do they do that? They did it by modeling oh. over 500 sculptures by hand and then oh, interpolating wow. between them. It's so cool to look at. Um, yeah, so all the pieces are amazing. Um, you know, I, I was, I'll admit that at one point I was like, man, you know, I'm a kind of funny guy. Like, oh, where's the funny? I want this to be entertaining, but really, you know, on reflection, it's really about the best of the best content. And if this is what's reflective of what's out in the world today, then hopefully uh, audiences receive it well, despite a lack of like uh, fart jokes and stuff like that. Well, I think that's great. I think it's, well, I think it's great that one, you, one, you, one, the jury noticed that, right. And the jury says, this is what needs to be expressed right now. This is what people are feeling right now. And that's what you're doing. And that's part of the thing. I think it's wonderful. I don't think we should necessarily escape some of the problems we've had recently, either through war or pandemics or political strife anywhere. Right. We should just look at this and say, this is the situation we're in. Um, you know, that's great. That's great. I think sometimes we escape a little too much, <laughs> you know, and there's a time and a place for that. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, I think it's great. Um, so, so you know, back back when you were doing the electronic theater in 2003 or whatever, I mean, it was, there was no real online viewing of things. You used to go to the theater rooms. And I remember there was a ton of content. You would actually have multiple rooms that videos were running yes. constantly. Yeah. And then you'd have the actual theater experience which was a two hour usually two hours right yep yep uh going on so so how how has that changed now like how, how what's the experience now so you know the last two years we had a streaming experience for the electronic theater and much like you'd expect that has a that had a high take up right pickup right because mm -hmm. people are used to being able to stream stuff from their homes um last year they made the change which is super exciting to um make it because it's not in person uh the first year you had to be registered for SIGGRAPH in order to be able to access that electronic theater. Now, uh, anybody can buy a ticket. Not only anybody can buy a ticket- Just to for the theater. The, not to the in-person experience, but anybody can tie a ticket to the streaming experience as well. Right, so that's pretty okay. cool, right? So that means that even if you weren't participating, you know, and, and I guess one of the big themes of SIGGRAPH this year, part of the plus is it's a way to have inclusion, right? Uh, to be more inclusive. People. Even if you even if you uh, want to travel and you are allowed to travel and swabbing and whatever, um, uh, mm -hmm. it's still expensive, and I think that also that always limits the number of people that can physically attend the conference. But anybody with just a few uh, I can't remember what the price is now, but anybody can experience the electronic theater on demand uh, for a broader window this year. I think even like starting right at the moment that we have open the electronic theater of the live show uh, to all the way through October. You can buy a ticket and you get a little viewing window once you activate it. But um, uh, so it should make the electronic theater available and accessible to far more people. And I think that's the rest of SIGGRAPH is doing something similar in terms of here's some online content that's going to be available to everybody. And then here's some content that you had to be there. And so to that end, the electronic theater, one thing that people may remember from the past when we used to do these in person is that there was a pre-show experience, like something that was, and the ones that are most memorable to me are the ones that were super interactive. And so uh, for me, mm -hmm. uh, I'm trying, it's May right now, hopefully by August, we'll have something that will be a, you had to be there, not in a horrible Oscars way. Um, you had to be there um, 
and remember and see and experience that thing. So um, try and motivate people to come back and remember why you why you wasn't there wasn't there one wasn't there one where the people in the theater were playing pong on either side of the room? Yeah, it's the one that everybody remembers, and that was actually put together <laughs> by uh, one of the uh, luminaries in our industry, Lauren Carpenter. Right. Um, so right. Uh, uh, so yes, uh, I hope that what we do this year, trying very hard, SIGGRAPH, as it's, uh, you know, depends a lot on sponsorship and donation and volunteer. So I'm trying to right. motivate people to empty their pocketbooks in order to put something together like that. But I hope what we'll do this year is an homage to that kind of thing. So uh, interactive experience, oh, awesome. maybe updated, because I think that was even before, I think that was in the 90s that that happened. Um, yeah. 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 So that was something. Yeah. Yep. It was a matter of voting or something. It was oh, like, there's a red and blue like paddle. Colors. There's a red, red, red and green blue paddle. paddle. That's what it held up. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. So that was interesting. Hopefully doing something along those lines. <laughs> yeah. Well, that was, that's amazing. Uh, uh, such a, such a, such a great, great thing to do. Uh, you know, those things. So, but so definitely people, when they go to SIGGRAPH in Vancouver, there's going to be a theater experience and be able absolutely. To it's going to be Monday and right. Tuesday night only. I think we have about uh, 1600 capacity. So lucky, oh, okay. lucky 3000 people will get to see the, is it going to be at the convention center or is it going to be at the convention center? Theater? Yeah. Um, they have a, you know, in, uh, 2019, the last time I participated, we had this, uh, it was right next to the Staples Center, the Microsoft Theater. I don't know what they're called now. It's like crypto.com and whatever, but there's a big theater next yeah, door yeah. that we could go. And uh -huh. so that was, an, that was amazing to be in the theater, but we don't have that option in Vancouver. So we'll take the gigantic ballroom that's also being used for the feature speakers and things like that. And we'll use it for the electronic theater on Monday and Tuesday night. Okay. Okay. Yeah, that's the same ballroom where I remember they had the um, the real time, real time live. Yeah, one point. I think it's I think real time, real -time live, live yeah. is there. We're Monday, Tuesday. I think real time live would be Wednesday. Okay, okay. Yeah. Well, that's very that's very exciting. That's yeah. very very exciting. I'm excited for uh, uh, for 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 the electronic theater again. I think it's wonderful that that you guys are doing it. I love the option of actually doing. Um, you know, uh, online viewing and be able to purchase a ticket so anyone can go. That's one thing I think that has been very interesting with conferences these days is that some conferences have sort of uh, embraced or, or maximized the uh, capability. I, it's been great. Like the first time I've actually went to go see a bunch of people live was at the VS Awards. I went mm. earlier this year and I was like, oh my God, it's so weird seeing everyone, uh, which was wonderful. A little bit Jar. Weird because yeah. you haven't done it for so long. Yeah, like, do, do I but shake hands? Do I? Do, what do I do yeah. now? Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but uh, but also it's really kind of cool that that you know that those things are happening again because I think those are great. But at the same time, I think just like working from home as an option is good. I think that conferences have figuring out how to have a a, a hybrid experience have actually been a really cool thing as well. You know, um, chaos is sort of developed this 24 hours of chaos thing that we've been doing, which is honestly, I'm not because I work for the company, but I think it's brilliant doing a 24 hour conference around yeah. the entire globe. Well, I mean, I think uh, that's, the, and that's, that's one of the challenges too, right? People talk about having a connection even remotely, but it, you know, uh, our, our animal logic is based, you can see here, it's based in Sydney and Vancouver. Yeah. 
there's a large time zone difference between there. So if you want to do something like, like, hey, yeah. let's have virtual drinks. Well, that would be eight in the morning for us. So maybe not so much. Yep. You know? So yeah, so 24 <laughs> yeah. hours where you're doing kind of localized things and, and that's perfect. Yeah, yeah. I think it's, but I also, I think, you know, like you said, it's sort of a little inclusive, right? Because people from Sydney may not necessarily have the ability to travel all over the world. It's expensive from someone from Sydney to go to Vancouver, right? Yeah. Um, and they have an opportunity to, to, to be part of it in some ways, which I think is, is great. Um, and yeah. I think it's, you know, it's really nice that that's it's a, there are it was still, a significant investment as a student to go to SIGGRAPH, you know? Yeah, exactly. Investment. Well, so if you are a student and you want to go to SIGGRAPH, do not forget the student volunteer program because it's a great way for you to be able yes. to get to go. You do a little bit of work and in trade, you get to be at the conference and experience so much of it. Um, uh, that's yeah. the lifeblood of SIGGRAPH is, is the student volunteers. And um, I'll tell you, some of those volunteers catch the bug, like I believe are conference chair this year started out as a student volunteer. I know um, conference chair from a, a few years back, uh, Mona, uh, she was my student volunteer lead in 2003. And so seeing these wow. people over time, uh, you know, you start early and you see the rewards of it and it, and it pays back over time. And, you know, having these opportunities that are kind of once in a lifetime sharing the world's preeminent computer graphics conference is something you only do once. It's actually funny. I just yeah. I haven't watched it yet. Um, I noticed uh, you just had pushed up uh, Judith Crow's interview. I did. Uh, yeah, I mean, you, and you, you know, you interviewed Judith, uh, Barbara, uh, Jill Smolin. I mean, these are all women that have made a significant impact on my life. Uh, Judith being my boss for a while and my and one of my mentors, and uh, she actually did the electronic theater before me. And she uh, she said it's one of the greatest things in my life that I'll never do again because. <laughs> Volunteering well, is yeah, hard, she's been, but it was so rewarding, right? She's been part of SIGGRAPH for a long time, and she's sort of been a very important part of it. Well, let's 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 go. I want what you said. You know, like since two thousand two is when you first started to get involved in shadowing the process, right? Mm -hmm. So, what has SIGGRAPH? What has SIGGRAPH meant for you, and what do you think SIGGRAPH means today in terms of a general concept of what what it is as an organization, and how has it changed over the years? I think the ultimately for me, SIGGRAPH has really been about broadening horizons. You can get into your, your little microcosm of, of just for me, visual effects animation for so, for so long, or just the people that you're working with. Um, and SIGGRAPH, uh, the work I do with the Academy, work I do with VS, opens you up to having connections and experiences with people that are out of your normal, out of your normal lane. Right. So with SIGGRAPH, you know, I meet, um, I, I still, Remember, so uh, in 2003, the papers chair is this amazing researcher named Jessica Hodgins. It was at Carnegie Mellon and mm -hmm. Disney Research for a while and all like massive work in in uh, uh, computer created animation, first with mocap and, 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 and path, uh, path connections and now with machine learning on top of that. Like, like I would never like have an opportunity to work with her and be able to say, email <laughs> Jessica and say, hey, how are you doing? if it weren't for SIGGRAPH, um, you know, uh, so to me, it's about expanding horizons. Like obviously you see content and you see content from competitors or from researchers that blow your mind and think, make you think about how to do something differently. There may be something that you never thought was possible. Now you see as possible because of that, because of that experience and what you're seeing, what's being presented and shared back with the community. It's another big piece, whether it's SIGGRAPH or, 
uh, or it's, you know, one of the reasons people get SciTech awards is because it's had a larger influence than just their own little studio. Um, and then, and then also the Academy Software Foundation sharing back with the rest of the community, uh, helps lift everybody. Right. And so, uh, so seeing things at SIGGRAPH really broadened my horizon, meeting and having experiences with people uh, outside of my normal wheelhouse uh, certainly help, you know, people that that manage the art jury. I mean, I, I love art, but I've never been a digital artist. I know what we do is, mm -hmm. is a subsection of kind of commercialized art, but like using this to do interactive design and it's, it you know, it sends off all the synapses in your brain that, that you're not getting every day. And it's a, it's right. It's really important. So yeah. And I've made yeah. lifelong friends as a result. Yeah. I, yeah, I miss walking the halls of SIGGRAPH a little bit. Well, come, you going to come. <laughs> I, I, I got to check it out with, with chaos. If, if there's room in the budget for me to go, but okay. we'll see. <laughs> Well, definitely. Yeah, I definitely, you know, SIGGRAPH is, 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 a, is a great experience. Yeah. And it's well, always nice year, to see every other words year. on the yeah. wall. Yeah. <laughs> if not this year, yeah. every other year is in Los Angeles. So certainly you can, you can come. And then also for- So is it going to be in Los Angeles in 2023? I think so. I think so. I haven't okay. checked for sure, but I'm almost positive. And then uh, also don't forget that there's SIGGRAPH Asia. So for those of you like, and yes. actually it's going to be in Sydney next year. So- um, Oh, nice. That's pretty exciting. Yeah. Yeah, I like the fact that Sydney is part of that. That's yeah, nice. That's yeah, cool. yeah, idea. and it's been you know Sydney. Uh, Animalogic was the main game in town in Sydney for a long time, and so now we have uh, uh, some local competition, which is good for everybody. Painful mm -hmm. sometimes, but um, but yeah, it's been Sydney is becoming a real hub. Australia in general has become a real hub. There's some really nice incentives in each of the states. So you see, uh, you know, Rising Sun has been uh, flourishing for years, and now even expanding to uh, to Queensland. Um, you know, uh, method existing in uh, Melbourne. There's great, great work being done all across Australia. Yeah. And then obviously yeah. Vancouver is, is like went through a surge, and then oh, Montreal, but then it's it's coming back in spades now, like uh, super right. aggressively. Yeah. I think at this point, the tax incentives are not as important as the, we need a bunch of work done. <laughs> I, I don't know. Think Maybe I'm still, I think it's still, it's still pretty valuable um, and important. Sure. And so the, it means that it's not, it's not a hundred percent. Like you have to, like the only way we can get this done is through having people locally, but that's still uh, a huge, uh, a huge um, value. I know I a lot of people in Los away. Angeles that are getting hired no matter what. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, that's, yeah, that is true, right? Um, Back in 2013, yeah. you pretty much had to move out of LA to have a job, but not yeah. anymore. Yeah. But I, I think yeah. what it is, is if you're locally in Vancouver, Sydney, it's become an incredibly, it's become a um, seller's market. Is that what it is? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah. Uh, you know, again, a lot of these things are, are great for the industry as long as it's sustained, as long as it's something that, uh, you know, this isn't, ah, we lost that show. We're shutting this down. And those are the things that are just so painful for everybody. So it's about, it's, right. I'm, I'm hopeful that everybody takes the measured approach to their expansions to make sure that it's something that can, can last long-term. And I, 
and not sure. taking anything away from anybody else, but that clearly is what we've done. We don't, we, we don't go to thousands of people. We're not trying to expand out that big because it's actually not the kind of business that we want to be in. I don't know right. everybody. I don't know everybody by name at the company, but we certainly know a lot of people and have that connection. And so that's, that's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. Uh, okay. I got a couple of little lightning round stuff I want to do with you. Cool. <laughs> All right. Uh, so, uh, I mean, obviously I spoke to Barbara and you, you heard that episode that came out a couple of weeks ago, yeah. uh, about virtual production. Now, so what is, what is some of the things that you think has changed? Has virtual production had an effect on the animation world and specifically like animal logic and, or, or even real time, uh, uh, stuff in general? Yeah. Uh, Vir virtual production, you know, virtual production is a super broad, uh, uh, encompasser. It's almost like, you know, mm -hmm. my son has cerebral palsy. Cerebral not palsy. Obviously I'm not yeah. talking about led walls, right? So yeah. I'm talking about yeah. Well, although walls. interestingly, yeah. you know, I don't know if they've published, uh, go talk to Jeff Stringer, at Leica. They have an led wall set up for oh. Leica for stop motion animation. Right. Because think about that. Yeah. They're shooting in camera, big visual, big backgrounds, expensive to produce. Oh my God. If I, they haven't yes. talked about that publicly I'm in such trouble with Jeff, but, but yeah. Um, yeah. Um, <laughs> Got it. But uh, so don't, don't count it out. I think the main thing for us with virtual production has really been about um, a combination of things, obviously investigating real time engines and that whole thing of like, what can we do without a render? Um, whether it's uh, even just and, and the collaborative nature of it. So collaboration really comes into the idea of how do I do a collaborative review? Like if I can review this content without having to render it out, everybody's looking around and poking and prodding and saying, hey, the model right over here, see this and stuff like that. That's super helpful. Um, and then I think the other thing is, um, it's just how does that change your workflow? Like if you can work like that, not just review, but how can you expand that out to having, we've always had our, our you know, even though it's a fairly linear process for animation, we've always had a lot of overlap um, uh, between the departments. Uh, Mm -hmm. I guess, uh, you know, a thing that uh, I think we coined at Animal Logic uh, with Glimpse, our proprietary render was Glimpse Everywhere. And then Max Leone, the original author of that, moved to Pixar and it became uh, Render Everywhere because he was working right. on Render Man for a long time. But it's basically the idea of, hey, if I have this thing, the most important, the most value is, can I make sure that even earliest on, uh, earliest you know, typically you go, oh, I'm doing a play blaster stuff at the very beginning of the pipeline. And you wait till the end of the pipeline to get to that heavy, heavy offline render push button. But what if you flip that? And what if you say, no, I'm trying to, every time I render out of animation, I'm trying to get a representative image that looks like the final frame. So yep. can I automate things so that if I'm doing a new version of animation, animator pushes a button and it runs the Peter Rabbit, for example, runs the first simulation, runs the cloth simulation on top, or makes up the geometry, runs the first simulation, runs the hair simulation on top of that, uh, renders with the final lighting. So the animator is seeing a pass fully in context in the actual render, right? Like everybody, like right. when you're looking at a gross shaded gray bunny without fur, it's hard to judge the animation. So if we can get to a more representative image uh, further early, earlier, in the, earlier in the pipe, that makes a huge difference in how you can reduce your iteration or uh, right. reduce bad iteration. Like, oh, this is a, this, there's an issue with a simulation or whatever, you get that done early on. Um, and so I think, um, you know, real time's an obvious uh, use for that, use case for that, 
right? Because even like right. he'll have like a like a play blast is still faster than pushing a button. And even though yes, that render is beautiful and that's the fur and the bunny and everything I like, but um, that took some time rather than a play blast. So if you can start to pull some of that stuff to closer to a, a better fidelity resolution, a better fidelity representation of the of the content for the animated live, I mean, it makes. My my thought is it make this should make a significant difference in terms of being able to make key creative yeah. decisions earlier, so that you're not wasting time. Like, oh, I went all the way to lighting, and then whoops, got to go all the way back and adjust the animation. Now, just do it, fix it there. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting because I've been actually thinking about this as you as you know for for many years, even yeah. uh, chaos. And the key ingredient for me is like you know, and is that it's great, except that it's not necessarily the final frame if you're rasterizing it, yeah. right? So uh, I'm one to try to see, you know, about real-time ray tracing to see how much real-time ray tracing can play a part in that process of iteration and give give those animators the ability to do that. Well, time, so. and that's the trade-off right now. So why am I talking about things like turntables and things like that? Like single asset, single asset, I can make sure that that real-time ray tracer and I have enough GPU RAM to match the RAM that I have on the render farm for the entire right. city, but I can look at a building in real time with the same, that's the same render basically that I'd have at the end, right? And so, you know, we, we love our offline renderer glimpse. It's it's really amazing. And the team that develops that is, is uh, just, <laughs> I, I love talking to them. Um, yeah. And we're not, but and we're not gonna get rid of that, right? But so mm -hmm. one of the things that's really empowering that we see is as you, you know, I talked a little bit about open source and actually we just published uh, one of our operations managers, Joanne, I just published uh, the open source obligations, little memo in turn on our, on our website about uh, our commitment to open source and why we think it's important. But part of the reason there is like, look, uh, there's some of these things that as we all mature as an org as a com as an industry uh, that shouldn't, they don't need to be unique. And if we, if uh, we prioritize compatibility, we open up so many more op options, right? So, you know, uh, obviously like, people render out EXRs now. They're not like, you know, they're not trying to exchange their own proprietary image formats from one studio to another or from one package right. to another. Like that's helped lift the industry. We don't have to, we don't have to do that anymore. If you, if you think something needs to be improved in, e in EXR, Go fix it, right? Check it in and publish it, and see yeah. if see if the rest of the world agrees, right? Um, we're getting into these as we go up the chain, right? So Material X is a big one that's being discussed right now. You've got USD, you've got US or uh, OSL, USD Shade, and then Material X is the stack. But if you can right. get that stack working for people, what does that do? It means that like I, I have a material description that works in my offline renderer and works in my real-time renderer as well, right? And and they're both trying to get to that same thing. Maybe, you know, some corners being cut for real-time uh, and some corners not, but like, you know that that, that that parameter is gonna be the same from one to the other and reduces silly time of, of translating and translating for compatibility's sake, right? So I think as yeah. we push those things, you're gonna see a, a bigger explosion of the, lots of people are trying to embrace real-time now, but it's like, oh, but I got my trusty old, I might got my standard tool sets and stuff and I'm just using this on the front end or I'm just using this in this area. If we can make sure that there's more compatibility across those things, I think that's going to be the, the lightning rod to 
trigger that this, no, this is just a part of everyday life. Right. Yeah. That's interesting. That's interesting. Well, I find it fascinating. Um, I, I don't want to change renderers. I feel that there's a solution that involves both renderers doing, reading the same data, but you did bring up, uh, the next, the, the idea of open source and I think USD, et cetera. And uh, this somewhat leads to my next lightning round question. What are your thoughts on the new trends that are happening in the entertainment industry in terms of web three? and how Web3 might change some of the content and, and the entertainment industry right now. <laughs> um, well, no, it's just sad. Yeah, I know like, it's a controversial I, one. <laughs> no, well, it's not it's sort of controversial, but sort of, I mean, there's there's different aspects of Web3. I'll, I'll be honest, I am so unfamiliar with some aspects of it. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I am not block, Blockhead, that's what he calls himself. Um, uh, uh, <laughs> Well, that's Jack Dorsey now. Jack he calls Dorsey. himself the blockhead, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah, blockhead, but like big Web3 proponent or back and forth. You know, right. you've got to uh, see some of the politics going on. Um, I I don't I don't know because we're, you know, right now we're still, a, you know, we're still a studio with people all working together and it's not, and people are all doing work for hire. It's not about trying to protect this one person's creative IP, right? I think it's more of since we're doing work for hire work for the studios, I think it's a really interesting idea for the studio side to think about like, well, how, do, what does this mean? Not just monetizing it, like, oh, I'll make an NFT of this thing. Right. But what does this mean in terms of uh, security and, and uh, reliability? I mean, here's, here's, you know, how do you start to use those things to validate uh, you know, for better, you mentioned Mike Seymour before. He just published this thing on Effects Guide about this neural rendering thing that he did on this Polish film. It's super yeah. cool, right? It was um, awesome. <laughs> yeah, super cool. But then you're like, oh wait, you could make you could use that to make somebody say whatever the hell you want them to say, and, and that's a little scary, right? And there's been a lot of research. Um, actually, uh, the SIGGRAPH Electronic Theater Director the year after me, 2004, Chris Bregler, is a massive researcher and a, and a, a you know kind of a legend in the in the uh, identifying deep face kind of uh, oh, yeah. area of research, right? So you're like, is there a way for blockchain and Web3 to be able to make sure that, no, that was actually really recorded? Oh, it's authenticating. Authenticated, <gasps> right? I just thought of that. I'm sure somebody else has thought of that, but uh, maybe that's a way like, no, this was actually, this was actually the content of the president. This was not something that was modified. Um, I didn't even think of that until you just said it. That's brilliant. Yeah, because right. I was having these conversations back in 2019. Uh, you know, I was part of the the SAG after uh, talk on on that specific thing. Like, what if we just take actors and make them do whatever we want them to do and don't pay them their fees as actors? Yeah. So that was yeah. But YL was doing some research on deepfakes, which is very interesting. Everyone everyone thought that deepfakes was going to be like what happens in politics in 2020. It didn't happen, by the way. Yeah. So, but it's interesting thinking about blockchain as authentication is, uh, I didn't even think about that there and that's brilliant. But so thinking about, yeah, thinking about that, like, uh, cause I was thinking about like one of the things that I have heard about NFTs, uh, for better words, is the, you know, the chain of custody makes sure that an artist can get paid residuals on every change of chain of custody yep. and things like that. And even if what the hell you own, it's not the actual image, it's some guarantee that the server is that part's the right. weird part to me, but at least artists getting paid for <laughs> the use of their work is, uh, is right. super, should be super important to anybody within the motion picture industry. 
Um, yeah. And actors are the same way, right? So there's an interesting thing to be well, said around that. What's the analogy I like to use? The NFT is not the house, it's the deed to the house. Mm, so, yeah. That's the way to yeah. So, well, I mean, that's why, yeah, smart contracts, like uh, if you bought a house, like title, like there's all the yeah. paperwork around doing high titles. Like, why is that a thing? Like that should be, that's right. If there's an error in area to be disrupted by smart contracts, it's like all that stupidity around house titles and things like that. Yeah. Fewer lawyers for sure. Yeah. Uh, well, cool. Uh, listen, that that's good. I'm glad that those are interesting points of view for sure. Dan. Uh, okay. Well, cool. We're getting towards the end. Is there any other cool, cool things you want to tell us about, uh, or what's going on or anything? God, else it, you know, I could talk to you forever. We, we almost always talk about cloud and I haven't mentioned anything this time. Uh, what's changed in cloud in the last three years? Um, wow. I think there's, I, there's always a lot. I think, um, a few things that we've seen are, um, one, a really interesting thing about cloud is is uh, depending on who's running that cloud organization at one of the majors um, can shift their focus. Like, you know, if they're focused on media entertainment, media entertainment is very broad. It could just be focused on the studio side and streaming and let me get those, let me get those CDN, that CDN dollars, or it's more focused on the creative tools, like the actual tools that we're using mm -hmm. in, in production today. And you see, uh, a couple of the players um, out there really making some inroads uh, in trying to produce um, produce tools that are cloud native to to help us within our industry, right? And I guess the first thing I'd think about is one of the biggest hurdles for getting cloud rendering. It's kind of like you know, it's done and exported. It's very it's kind of lowest common denominator. All it is like connect. I have my storage on prem. And my software on-prem, I make an image and I push it out to these to these uh, to these uh, uh, instances, and I push a button and they slurp all the data over. Maybe there's a nice ca caching thing uh, in there, like in a VR or something like that. But maybe there's a caching thing in the mi middle, but then it's just extra render, right? Um, so there's there's that, which is kind of an explored known quantity, but then to do the rest of production. So you heard of I, I think. Mostly smaller studios, not necessarily larger studios, um, have been doing things like, oh, no, all of our workstations are all now virtual, right? When now that everybody's explored this idea of Teradici and PC over IP, and that's the way it's safe to work from home, why connect to a machine in my own data center? Why not connect to a public instance and just use that, right? Um, and the reason that most of the larger studios don't do that Partially it's expense, you know, economy of scale. Like if I'm buying a thousand machines, it's probably better, more cost-effective for me to do in a data center. Although I'd argue against that uh, in the next few years. Hmm. Um, but then the other piece is uh, the data. It's a ton of storage we have. And when this, and all the compute and all the services and everything uh, have an affinity for wherever that storage is. Right? So until we get storage off-prem, and into the cloud, or even, or at least a mirror, like the most expensive, and that's the other thing is the hurdle is like, I'm on-prem right now, this is what I've been doing. To get to cloud, you go through this hybrid moment. And, and I went like that yep. because this is a cost, even if cloud is cost neutral, to go, you're going hybrid, you got both for a while, it's a few years. And so uh, right. that migration is like, hey, here's our operating expenses, but then, oh my God, it just went up. 
for a while, and then you get back to being on camera. Then you get back to something that's that's uh, I I would argue better or by that point in time, but it's a big hurdle to get over, right? Um, right. And part of that big hurdle is how do I get the data to be to be mirrored to the cloud and then ultimately uh, cloud native, the storage. And so part of the you know the big hurdle there. First big hurdle is asset management. So if you look at all these other utilities that have been out there, like first image formats or 3D volumetric formats like OpenVDB, then you have tool sets on top of that and libraries like OSL and OpenImageIO and all these next level things. And you're getting to some tools. I don't know if you've heard, um, and I think there'll be a press release soon, even though they've publicly announced it, RV is going to be open sourced. Right? Interesting. So it's, so it's a tool now instead of just a library or a format, a tool itself is gonna be open source that comes from our industry that has broad adoption, super exciting. So as more of those tools get over, the next piece of kind of foundational framework that's really important is asset management. How do you get asset management to be available and, and, and cloud accessible? And I think, um, is, I think some of the cloud providers have figured that out. And I think so, as you see some of those things uh, come to fruition so that storage can start to come over the cloud. That'll be that, uh, I don't need to use tipping point, this little dated, but like, that'll be a, that'll be the switch to saying, oh, wait, this is actually something that is possible. Yeah. The thing that always sort of, you know, I've, I, when I, back in the day, I don't know if things have changed, but it was always like the, the cost of cloud was a strange idea. So you pay for the actual computer time, which is not necessarily a huge amount of time. Storage is actually not that expensive, but what's the most expensive unexpected expense is egress, right? Yeah, yeah. I <laughs> and there, and that's something that's like, wait, what? It's like you, you can upload everything to the cloud for free, but if you take anything back, you're paying for it. And that was, huh. And then it's like, why take anything back? <laughs> Just leave yeah, it. Well, there, yeah, right? that's exactly if you don't take it back. And that's why cloud rendering has been able, like I'm transmitting a petabyte of data to render this one frame, but that frame itself is like, you know, like 10 megs. 10 megs, fine. It's worth it. It's worth it to get access to all that compute and get that done sooner and just transport that small, that small amount of data back. Um, so right. that part works. But yeah, egress is a, I think there was a, I saw something from Michael Dell talking about there was a leaked thing from Amazon uh, that's that showed that their markup on egress was 7,000%. What? <laughs> because they, <laughs> they want you to keep it in. Right. They want the data. Yeah. yeah. They want you to use it. It's locked into that system. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Because once the data is there, first you have access to all these services and you, and you are kind of, it's, it's a, yeah. Yeah, and that's why people start to talk about the idea of multi-cloud of like, you know, with cloud rendering, the infrastructure that I, like, oh, you're, you're going to change your pricing structure on me or remove my discount, I can just hop to another person, it's super easy. But what's your data is there? Like, how do I shift five petabytes or 10 petabytes from one place to another? That's a that's a yeah. bigger lift. And so that's why people think about multi-cloud at that point. I don't think, I don't think anybody's really at multi-cloud within our industry yet. I could totally be wrong, but like, it's just about, single cloud and hope that that provider doesn't <laughs> doesn't screw you over in some way because right. just getting to that hurdle is, is a big is a big hurdle yeah I'm wondering you know I've been I've been going down the, the web 3 rabbit hole for for the last 
six month year to six months or whatever. But I'm actually wondering when the clouds are no longer a provider itself, right? When they become decentralized, truly decentralized, when that actually makes sense for people and how does that work? So if that, that becomes something to, that becomes interesting as well. So I'm very curious about that. Very curious about that. I hadn't thought about that, yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Well, listen, Darren, it's been, it's been an hour. Again, uh, even every three years, we never run out of things to talk about, which is- No, wonderful. I had a list of a whole bunch of other stuff. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but uh, but we can we can do that again, and we maybe we do it in less than three years. So, but it'd be great to oh, hopefully be great to to see that. Yeah, I'm very excited and, and, about SIGGRAPH. And at some point, maybe we could do the. You know, I remember when it was on couches and scotch and stuff like that. Like, you know, you're talking about missing yep. connection. You could do it. We can still do it. We can still do it. But I'll tell you this. You know, it's just like we were talking about. I never wanted to ever do them remote the podcasts because i always wanted to do that in-person thing on a couch as you just mentioned uh but uh, the thing that's interesting is i was forced to do it because of the pandemic and at the same time there's been some wonderful things i've been able to talk to people all over the world without having to deal with that so exactly exactly i mean i think the main thing so that is a piece of inclusion uh you know i really miss uh with SIGGRAPH and the academy and stuff like that like i don't get to meet some of these people in person that are amazing uh, and then, but then on the flip side, not having them be a part of investigating the side techs, uh, just because they're in London or in New Zealand or, or New York, uh, that's just, a, that's a travesty right. as well. So it's, you know, it's, it's the love hate relationship of it, but finding a way to like, okay, like when you can, you do it. I think that's the, I think that's the, that's the right balance. So next time, even though I'm, I'm sober, we'll do a coffees or something like that in person. Yeah. Yeah, let's do it. Let's yeah. do that for sure. Uh, for sure. And I'll definitely stay in touch. It's always good chatting with you. And I love I love our conversations. And you've also been great at recommending some great uh, uh, people to come on to the podcast. And I really appreciate that. So, of course, <laughs> man. It's, uh, I love the podcast. All right. All right. Okay. In fact, you know, you mentioned Jess Stringer and I saw him at the VES Awards and I'm, I'm going to hit him up for, for being on the podcast because it'd be great mm -hmm. to have him on too. Good stuff. Good cool. stuff. He's, he's Thanks, a, man. He's, a, he's funny. I asked him about, he started out he started out selling knives before he got into this. Really? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> now he's really like, gonna, yeah, now I'm never going to hear the end of it from him. Yeah. All right. All right. Well, I'll definitely talk to Jeff about that. All cool. right. Well, thanks so much, Darren. All right. Take care.